as uh, Matt read from the book of Amos and asked that you might stay open to that passage, uh, that would be great to that little book. And if you haven't done so, uh, please do so and open to Amos. It is the last day, obviously, of 2017. And as we prepare to enter into the new year, into 2018, there's a lot of people in a lot of walks of life that are rethinking where they are, where they want to go, and what they want to do in both this new year as well as into the years beyond that, if indeed the Lord allows. Therefore, I thought it was very appropriate to preach this morning's topic. It is very similar to something that I have done before, in some phases. But the more I tried to get away from it and get to another topic, the more I seemed to be brought back around to it. <laughs> so um, one of the reasons that I was brought back to it, or one of the things that brought me back to it, is the bulletin article that you have on Chinese buffets. And so please go ahead and read that as it was used today specifically because it goes so well with the lesson. I want to begin this morning with a tale of two preachers from the Old Testament, Amos and Amaziah. As we saw in the scripture reading in Amos 1 and verse 1, Amos was originally a shepherd from Tekoa. Several facts I'd like to share with you from the New Unger's Bible Dictionary about Amos and the town of Tekoa. It says, Tekoa is a town in Judah about six miles south of Bethlehem, and it's on a range of hills that rise near Hebron and stretch toward the Red Sea. Of Amos, the New Unger's Bible Dictionary says that he belonged to the shepherds there and was not trained in any school of the prophets. He prophesied in the reigns of Uzziah, king of Judah, and Jeroboam, king of Israel, around 786 to 746 B.C. Now, according to Ungers, and I guess it makes sense if you think about it, it was pretty rare that God would send a prophet from Judah into Israel. And that doubtless attracted a lot of attention. And as I read that, I thought, that's kind of like sending a preacher from New England into the Bible Belt. You know, it's, it's sort of one of those things, a little different. The time of Amos' prophecy was one of great wealth and great corruption, sort of like today's America. At that time, the borders of the northern kingdom were at their widest extent since the times of Solomon. 1 Kings 8.65 2 Kings 14.25 and Amos 6 in verse 14. Ungers says that the two kingdoms were at the summit of their prosperity. Idleness, luxury, and idolatry were the earmarks of their society. This was the environment in which Amos preached. Fiery denunciation of the luxurious living, idolatry, and moral depravity of Israel were the subject of this rustic prophet from the mountaintop village of Tekoa. But the article that really sparked this sermon this morning was by a brother, Al Shannon, 
from his website, Biblical Proof, from December the 9th, 2017. And I don't know if you're familiar with that name or not, Al Shannon, but I am indebted to Brother Shannon. Uh, if you look on our website, you'll see that beside each sermon, there's a picture. And some of them are really nice, okay? Almost, probably 85 to 90% of the pictures that are posted beside of our sermons come from Brother Shannon's website. He does not mind people sharing those if they are faithful and getting the message out there. So, on his website, he also had this following article, which, as I say again, really sparked this morning's lesson as we consider the new year and beyond. The article that he wrote was entitled... Which kind of preacher do you prefer? And he writes the following. The Old Testament prophet Amos was a shepherd turned preacher. The crowd to whom he preached was the upper class of Israel, including the king himself. Amos was not their choice of a preacher, however. They did not choose him. God chose Amos for them. His oratory was not refined eloquence. His preaching was not polite by their standards. If they could have fired him, they would have. But Amos was God's preacher, not theirs. And then he cites Amos 7. And I'm going to ask you to turn to Amos 7. Amos 7, verses 10 through 16, must preclude that which he is about to discuss regarding them. Amos chapter 7, beginning at verse 10. I'm going to bring up the other preacher in this little tandem, and that's Amaziah. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive from their own land. Amaziah comes to the king and he says, We can't stand what he's preaching. We don't want anything to do with this. He's actually saying that you, King Jeroboam, are going to be killed by the sword and that our whole Israel is going to be led away captive. That We can't bear that. We can't listen to that anymore. Then Amaziah, verse 12, said to Amos, Go, you seer, flee to the land of Judah and there eat bread and there prophesy, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary and it is the royal residence. Go back where you came from. We don't want to hear you. Take your preaching back there. But then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet. Nor was I a son of a prophet, but I was a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit. Then the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel, and do not spout against the house of Isaac. 
Brother Shannon goes on in his article and says this, This text shows Amaziah to be a different kind of preacher than Amos. Amaziah would preach what his hearers wanted rather than what they really needed. He disliked Amos's style and message. He scoffed at the warnings Amos issued about judgments coming upon Israel because of her sins. Doubtless it pleased King Jeroboam to hear Amaziah rebuke Amos. Amaziah in this text told Amos to leave Israel and go to Judah, where his kind of preaching might be more appreciated. We are too refined and sophisticated for this kind of preaching, Amaziah might be heard to say. But Amos did not keep quiet. He did not allow Amaziah to ridicule him in his work. He said, I wasn't a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I was a herdsman and a tender of sycamore fruit. The Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now, Amos says to Amaziah, Hear the word of the Lord. In fact, Amos then goes on to preach a stunning judgment against both Israel and Amaziah on a personal level in verse 17. Brother Shannon's article continues. Amos was not a preacher for hire. Amos was not a prophet because his father was one. He did not preach because he was properly educated in the doctrine of men. Nor did he preach because he was looking for employment. He was preaching because God told him to prophesy. We are made to wonder, why was Amaziah preaching? Probably, most likely... Amaziah was preaching because like most prophets in that day it was all about the money and like most prophets today it's all about the money. We would note this from the book of Micah. Go ahead just a few pages to the book of Micah. And we would know what God has to say about these hirelings, these prophets or preachers who were only interested in money. Micah 3 and verse 5. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who make my people stray, who chant peace while they chew with their teeth, but who prepare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Verse 9. Now hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who abhor justice and pervert all equity who build up Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with iniquity. Her heads judge for a bribe, her priests teach for pay, and her prophets divine for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? No harm can come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed like a field. Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins and the mountain of the temple like the bare hills of the forest. You see... At that time, Jerusalem was filled with prophets that were preaching only for the money. They weren't even preaching what the Word of God said. They were just simply in it for the bribes and the pay. But see, Amos wasn't like that. Brother Shannon concludes his article with the following two paragraphs. He says... Many churches today want preachers like Amaziah. 
He would never be so rude as to disturb the peace of a congregation by pointing out its errors. He would not bother people by calling them to repent. No one would leave his preaching with feelings of guilt. Everything would be so sweet and pleasant that God would become nauseous. Conversely, Amos' preaching would not always be pleasant. It might be troublesome at times, if people insisted on remaining in sin. His harsh rebukes might even cause some guilt feelings and unrest. But remember, Amos was God's preacher. And then Brother Shannon concludes with this. Honestly, which kind of preacher do you have better yet? Which kind of preacher would you prefer? Amos or Amaziah? Now, while the answer to that seems extremely and incredibly obvious, some might need to stop and consider, even though the answer is incredibly obvious, but what about when it comes to their particular pet sin of choice? You know, it's one thing to say, well, when he's talking about everybody else's sin, you know, bring it on and blow them away. But what about when it gets personal? That needs to be factored into that answer. Preachers who are more concerned with answering to God and with what He has to say both to and about them, rather than answering to men and with what they have to say to and about them, are often hated, resented, ridiculed, and rejected by those with no interest or desire for personal repentance. We see this in the scripture all the time. Those who are more concerned with what God says and putting it out there despite what men want to hear. God's messengers who do that are often hated, ridiculed, resented, rejected. For example, others of Amos' faithful ilk that come to mind would include Micaiah. Please turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles 18. I have used this before, but... And, and we're not going to cover a lot of it. I just want to remind you of the story. But if you go back to 2 Chronicles 18 with me, what you're going to find back there is two kings. And they're getting ready to go off to war. And we would look down in 2 Chronicles 18, which for some reason I'm having trouble getting to. There we go. 2 Chronicles chapter 18. Jehoshaphat and Ahab are getting ready to go off to war and there's 400 prophets that tell them, hey, go, everything's going to be good, be wonderful. But Jehoshaphat's not quite ready to hear that. He asked Ahab, he said, isn't there a prophet of God here you could inquire of? And, and we would notice down in verse 7 that Jehoshaphat said, that the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there's still one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. I hate that preacher. Because he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. He's Micaiah, the son of Imla, and Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say such things. Question. Whose fault was it that Ahab was getting bad prophecies about him? 
We all know Ahab, married Jezebel. We know who we're talking about, right? Yet he wanted to lay it at the prophet's feet. So I hate him because he never says anything good about it. He never prophesies something good's going to happen to me. Hey, Ahab, newsflash, buddy. Maybe you ought to do things God's way a little bit more often and maybe good things would be in line. Just thought. In verses 12 and 13... They went to get Micaiah, and the prophet who went, the, the messenger who went to get him said, Now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king. Therefore, please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. He said, Look, all of us prophets have gotten together. We've told the king, Go. We've encouraged him. Will you please just tell him to give him the company line? We've all decided, in the interest of just keeping the peace, why don't you just go along with us just as once, just go along with us and just. Just please encourage him. And Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, whatever my God says, that's what I'm going to say. That's why Micaiah was hated by Ahab, because he would only speak the word of the Lord. Think of others. Think of, think of all the prophets in the Old Testament. Think of the apostles in the new. We think of Isaiah. History tells us Isaiah was sawn in two. Ezekiel. Jeremiah. John the Baptist. Remember what happened to John the Baptist? Remember Stephen the martyr in the book of Acts? All the apostles. Most of all, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the same for every faithful to God preacher in the sacred text. In the epistle to the Galatians... The Apostle Paul, in chapter 1, in verse 10, would say, If I still pleased men, I wouldn't be a bondservant of Christ. You see, later on in that same epistle, in Galatians, the Apostle Paul is going to tell you that the spirit and the flesh are in opposition to one another. That the flesh and the spirit are direct contradictory. You can't, you can't indulge the flesh and the spirit at the same time. And that's when he goes through the sins of the flesh there in Galatians 5 versus the fruit of the spirit. In that same way, he's letting you know in chapter 1, you can't please both man and God at the same time. You can't, they're diametrically opposed, generally speaking. And so Paul says in Galatians 1.10, that he chose to be a bondservant. Do you know what a bondservant is? It's somebody who willingly puts themselves under another. It's a choice. It's not like slave where you're enslaved by somebody else against your will, but a bond servant is one who puts himself under another to serve him willfully. Paul said, If I still please men, I'd not be a bondservant of Christ. But he chose to preach what God wanted, no matter how men reacted. Contrary to popular opinion, God's divine job description and top priority for his preachers has never been to be popular or to preach their opinions. 1 Peter 4 and verse 11. God's job description for his preachers has never been to give people what they prefer to hear to make them happy over what they need to hear to make them holy. Isaiah 30, verses 1 through 11. You know what? If men want to become popular, they need to become entertainers. If men want to preach their flawed opinions, they need to become politicians. 
But if they want to go to heaven, and if they want to take others they love with them, and they want to hear God say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, in the end, if that's what they want, then they must become willfully humble, obedient, God-fearing, and Word of God presenting and portraying servants devoted to preaching only what God's Word says, no matter what. 2 Timothy 4, familiar passage, please turn there. Paul writes to young Timothy, what I consider to be the preacher's job description for all time, when he says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, it is appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Not your opinion, not what will make you popular, not what will necessarily keep the peace, not what men necessarily want to hear. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. What is his message? You must be ready and willing, Timothy, and able at all times. Whether it's popular or whether it's unpopular. Hear me, church. Whether it's well received or whether it's outright rejected, whether it is completely loved or completely detested, you must be ready at all times to preach precisely what God's Word says on any given subject. Nothing more and nothing less. Because anything more or less is always less when you preach something that is more or less the Word of God. This is the eternal truth that is spelled out so simply here in 2 Timothy 4. But there's a price. There will always be a price. As this divinely inspired text so clearly shows, when the word of God, which God's faithful messengers are to proclaim without hesitation, whether it's popular or not, when that word slams into headlong, heart first, point first, when that word slams into people's sin, people's preferred pet sins, something pretty predictable usually happens. That predictability is seen in verses 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Seeing as how crucifixion and stoning to death are against the law in America today, and thank God for that, most of those who have this pet sin that they want to hang on to, when it is confronted by the Word of God, by the preacher, which he has no choice but to expose, Ephesians 5.11, people will almost always react in one of two or three very predictable ways. Predictable according to God's Word. What happened in John 6? Scripture shows that instead of sitting down and repenting and obeying the Word of God, some just up and leave. Some, right here in this passage, seeking to get their ears tickled. What does he say they're going to do? They're going to heap up teachers for themselves. If they don't like what's being taught, the truth of God's word that's being taught, 
What are they going to do? They're going to seek some other group that will tickle their ears and some place where their sin of choice is maybe more readily accepted. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, instead of sitting down and studying and trying to understand what the scriptures say, because maybe they'll discover that there's some changes that need to be made that they don't want to make, he says... They're going to turn aside. They're going, to, they're going to turn aside, Timothy. But like we discussed in the adult class this morning, that's not a new pattern either. We discussed this morning how this pattern of taking two or three is not a, a new thing. Well, this pattern here is not a new thing either. Solomon, in all of his godly wisdom, saw it coming more than 25 centuries ago, as he wrote in Proverbs 18, 1 and 2. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. A fool has no delight in understanding but in expressing his own heart. According to Scripture, read it in your own Bible. Some of those who reject the word will attempt to draw away other disciples from the truth to follow after them. This is what happened in Acts chapter 20, verses 26 through 32, where the Apostle Paul told the Ephesian elders that after his departure, when the man of God was no longer there to teach the truth, what was going to happen was, is that there would be some who would come and try to draw away the disciples after themselves, draw them away from the truth, get them away from the word of God, try to pull them out of that group to follow after these people who had already rejected God's word. Proverbs 18 also addresses that. In verse 5, look what it says. Back in Proverbs, not only do we have chapter 18, verses 1 and 2, but this is also addressed in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 5, where it says there, It is not good to show partiality to the wicked or to overthrow the righteous in judgment. When somebody doesn't want to hear the truth and they, they go find some preacher to tickle their ears, somebody who's not so concerned about the word of God, they may seek to draw off disciples after themselves. And, and God's word here in Proverbs says, don't overthrow the righteous of the judgment. The judgment of the righteous. I can say that. Or the righteous in judgment. And still at other times, as happened to the Apostle Paul in Acts 13, Acts 16, Acts 17, some will just simply resort to character assassination as their favorite weapon of choice. Proverbs 18 addresses that as well in verses 6 through 8. But despite all that, despite all that, despite all the resistance, despite all the rejection, despite any possible retaliation or rebellion, guess what? The Word of God does not change. It is forever firmly fixed in the heavens, Psalm 119.89. And because the Word of God does not change, just because people may not like to accept every facet of it, and it still doesn't change, therefore neither can the number one priority and responsibility of faithful men, whether they be the preacher or the congregation members. Do you know what... Paul was telling young Timothy there in 2 Timothy, we, we left one verse off. 
Let's read 2 through 5. He says, Preach the word, be in season, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they'll turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Here's the verse we left out. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. They're coming, Timothy. You're going to have to endure it. Do the work of an evangelist, in season and out. Do the work. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry means you've got to do what Isaiah did. You've got to do what Micaiah did. You've got to do the Apostle Paul, what he's done, finish the race, fight the good fight. All of those things. What is the Apostle Paul saying to the young preacher here in 2 Timothy 4, 2-5, and every gospel preacher to follow? Here's what he's saying. Timothy and the rest of you guys, some are going to grow weary of hearing it. Preach the word anyway. Some are going to suggest that you compromise it. Preach the word anyway. Some are going to get angry when you refuse to compromise the word. Preach the word anyway. Some are going to get so angry that they're going to take their money and their influence and their attendance and they're going to go elsewhere. Preach the word anyway. Attendance might plummet. Preach the word anyway. You're not going to be popular. Preach the word anyway. Your reputation may get sullied at every opportunity. Preach the word anyway. You may even get chased out of town or worse. Preach the word anyway. That's God's message. The day that a gospel preacher makes peace, paychecks, or popularity his top priority over preaching God's truth is the day that he fails to be God's preacher. And he needs to repent immediately. I hope you're still turned there to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We've talked about verses 2 through 5. Now I want to conclude by talking about the rest of that chapter. God's preacher should continually be willing to be poured out as a drink offering so that when the time of his departure is at hand he can honestly say like the Apostle Paul did in verses 6 through 8 of 2 Timothy 4 I have fought the good fight I have finished the race I have kept the faith I have kept it without compromise and so there is laid up for him that crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will award to him on that day again verses 6 through 8 of 2 Timothy 4 continuing in 2 Timothy 4 here's what's going to happen many like Demas did to Paul in verse 10 may forsake that faithful to the word proclaimer and or congregation because they love the world more than they love the word God says, preach the word anyway. 
Others, like Alexander the coppersmith did to Paul in verses 14 and 15, may greatly resist the word of God, which the faithful to God preacher presents and cause him some personal harm. God says preach the word anyway. There may even be times... There may be time. I can't imagine being the Apostle Paul, baptizing all those people, starting all of those churches, writing so much of our New Testament by divine inspiration. I cannot imagine the impact and the influence that he had on so many people, and yet he has to say that with his that nobody stood with him at the end. Isn't that awful? But he said that's the price. Preach the word anyway. There may be times that no one will stand with you when you stand on the word of God and that all will forsake you. But the Lord will stand. The Lord will stand with the faithful proclaimer of God's word and strengthen and deliver him so that he can continue to fully preach the word of God that God told him to until the day that God comes to take him home to heaven where he will hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Verses 16 through 18. And that will only be if he continues to preach the word anyway. We know for sure that any congregation, any congregation, where the numbers are declining could probably fill their pews and their plates fuller if they compromise the scripture. But that would just mean that heaven would be a little emptier. Because we know we cannot please both God and the majority of mankind at the same time. Matthew seven thirteen through 14. What kind of preacher do you prefer is more than just a good and thought-provoking article by a good and faithful brother in Kentucky? It is also a question that every congregation will continually answer in 2018 and beyond if the Lord allows the earth to keep spinning. It is a question that is not necessarily always answered by the words that somebody might say in response to that specific question, but perhaps by their words and actions and discussions when defections <laughs> displeasure and unhappiness happens within the congregation as a result of the truth being preached in love without compromise. Which kind of preacher do you prefer? Amos or Amaziah? That's a question. Which kind of preacher do you prefer that I am so grateful that this congregation has chosen to answer repeatedly over the years, in effect, with one word. Amos. And I hear men get up here and pray all the time that we will always stay faithful to the old paths no matter what. So do I. But it comes at a cost. It's not always going to be popular. And in whatever time God allows me to remain on this planet and to serve in this congregation, my aim, my desire, my hope, my effort is to try to be the Amos kind of preacher 
that God saved me to be. So that all of us who want to go to heaven will have our best possible chance of getting there. I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to please pray that I do not fail in that endeavor. If you want to call that weakness, that's fine. Call it what you will. If the Apostle Paul could ask for the prayers of the Ephesians that he would speak more boldly, which is what he did in Ephesians 6, 19 and 20, it's okay for me to ask that of you because I certainly am no Apostle Paul. It's not easy being an Amos type of preacher. It's not easy being an Amos type of congregation. Sometimes... As I said, it can be very unpopular. There's a lot of cost that goes with it. But the one cost that I am unwilling to pay is my eternal soul. And I am so glad that so many of you are on the same page with that. The lesson is yours this morning, probably not quite what you expected for the day before New Year's. Where will we go in 2018? What will we do? What will we become? Well, think on those things. The lesson is yours this morning. If there's anybody here that is not a member of God's family, needs to repent and be baptized into Christ, or needs the prayers of the church, please come to the front as we stand and sing.